Hey, everybody. How are you? It's great to see you. I have been away on vacation making some kitchen cabinets. Now, this is what I've learned about making kitchen cabinets. It is a lot harder than I thought. Surprise! And it takes a lot longer than I thought. Uh, am I done? No. Uh, I hope to be done by Christmas, <laughs> this year, next year. Much more challenging. I, I have discovered that in building, the secret is don't give up. Just stay with it. It's a great deal like those of you who are teachers. You know the motto, just keep showing up. It's like your marriage. You just stick with it. In this Olympic season, we're in a series called The Race of Their Lives, and we're looking at some of the fascinating lives of those who have not quit, those who have persevered, and they, they've stuck with it. One of those is a young lady named Heidelin Diaz from the Philippines, and we're going to see a part of her story on the screen. What was her secret? Don't give up. Just don't give up. The Bible uses the imagery of the Olympics to encourage us all not to give up. There is a picture of the Olympic athletes, which began in Greece, and as they would enter into the amphitheater, you would hear the thunderous peal and, and cheers of, of the spectators. It was almost deafening. That's the picture I, I want you to see in your mind. It's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it begins as follows. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of the witnesses of the life of faith, these are those who have known the Lord and they've already gone to be with Him in heaven. There is my grandfather, Willie Lewis. He's saying, come on, son. Come on, son, don't give up. Come on, he's pleading with me. Don't give up. There's my father, Richard Lewis. He's cheering. Come on, son. Come on, son, don't give up. Keep running. There's my mom, Geneva Lewis. And there's our friend, Sandra Hernandez, who not too long ago went to be with the Lord from our BCF family. They're cheering us. Come on, run that race. This is what the scripture says. Run that race, the life of faith. And how do we do that? Let's strip off every weight that slows us down, those heavy sweats, take them off, especially the sin Oh, that so easily trips us up. And let us, read carefully, let us run with what? Endurance, the race God has set before us. All of us have a unique race that God has designed. Before we were ever born, God designed a unique race for you, a unique race for me. How do we do that? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion he is the one who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. One day, the book of Hebrews records, one day all of us are going to be judged. When God judges your life, what is he going to say? What is he going to say to you? Today we're going to look at the life of one man who ran his race well. Not perfectly, but he ran it well. And he, he ran it so well that he became an example 
for his children and his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, in fact, for descendants to come, even ourselves. This is what the Bible says about Abraham. The Bible says Abraham is the father. The word father here means that he is the model. He is an example to all who follow of those who believe. I want you to listen, please, how God introduces himself to Abraham's grown son, Isaac. This is what he says. I am the God of your father, Abraham, and I will bless you because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. When God introduced himself to Abraham's grandson, his grown son, Jacob, he said this, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. 400 years later, when God introduced himself to a man named Moses, he said, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When God introduced his own son, Jesus, he said, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of Abraham. What did Abraham do that was so pleasing to God that he introduced himself to his son, his grandson, and for generations to come as the God of Abraham? And what is the one thing that you can do? There's one thing that you can do, that all of you can do, that will guarantee it will influence your children, your grandchildren, and for generations to come. I believe all of us want to live a life that has impact, a life that has meaning to our family and friends and, and helps them lead better lives. None of us, none of us want to lead a life described by the English writer Somerset Mom. Somerset Mom wrote, these old folk had done nothing, and when they died, it would be just as if they had never been. None of us want those words written across our lives. It would be just as if she had never lived. It would be just as if he had never lived. I long for my life to have influence. I want God to be able to say, generations from now, I am the God of your great-grandfather, Kenny Lewis. I believe you do too. So what is that one thing that you and I can do that Abraham did? The Bible records these three words, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God would do what he said he would do. Abraham believed that God would keep his promises. So he became a model for all of us. And you may say, well, hey, that was cool for Abraham, but I'm not Abraham. That was then and this is now. I want you to look, please, at a promise God will make to you. All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. That's for me. And that's for you. We're going to look today at three descriptions of Abraham's life from God's Word, the Bible. So I invite you to take out your notes. If you're listening online, your host is going to post a link where you can get those notes. This is going to be a life-changing time. So I invite you to get your pen, your pencil, whatever you might happen to have, so you can follow along as 
So we look at the man the Bible says is a model for all of us who believe. Three descriptions. Description number one, Abraham was willing to risk all that he owned. He was willing to risk everything. Abraham is 75 years old. Now, he lived to be 175, so in our years, he would be in his mid-30s. He is wealthy. His name means exalted father. So he comes from a wealthy, influential family. He's well-established. When the Lord said to Abram, another word for Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Notice the repetition of your, 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 and go to the land that I will show you. Incredible. Leave all of your business contacts, leave everything, and just follow me. And then God says, if you will, I'll make you three promises. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, another portion of the Bible gives us a little more insight. When God calls Abraham to leave everything, to move, he doesn't tell him where he's going. Can't you imagine that Abraham must have said, uh, okay, where are we going? And God says, just follow me. Just, just, just trust me. Well, that's cool. How many times did he say, are we there yet? Are, are, are we there? No, you're not there yet. The book of Hebrews adds, by faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him. Keep reading as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. This is no small journey. He, God says, look, Abraham, you just follow me and I will bless you. Men and women, let's stop for a minute. Faith always involves risk. Faith always involves uncertainty. You do not exactly know how this is going to play out. And God is saying, come on, just trust me. Just trust me. The Bible records, so Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him. He travels for 450 miles by camel. It had to take months. That's, that's like from here to Waco. Just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. Keep on following me. And God says, if you do, I'll, I'll make three promises to you, Abraham. I want you to look at these three promises. First of all, he says, Abraham, if you'll follow me, I'll make you a great nation. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel existed for over a thousand years before Christ, was destroyed shortly after the time of Christ. But then in May of 1948, the nation of Israel came back to life. I don't know of any other nation in history that was extinct and miraculously came back to life. Why did that happen? Because God made an unbreakable promise to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will not only make you a great nation, secondly, I'm also going to give you a great name. The name Abraham is honored by Jews, by Muslims, and by Christians today across the globe. Abraham, I'll make you famous. Thirdly, I'll also make you a great blessing. How great a blessing. 
such a great blessing that God's Son, the Messiah, Jesus, will be one of your descendants. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of Abraham. Men and women, one day, God is going to call you to take a scary step of faith. And it will be frightening. I want to challenge you. When God calls you to take that step of faith, do it. Do it. It will be the most exciting and the most productive time of your lives. This is what I've learned. When God calls you to give up something, he wants to give you something something even greater. The call of God is not to hurt you. The call of God is to help you. Scary? Yes. Risky? Absolutely. Should you do it? Yes. In the spring of 1997, I was serving as the pastor of the First Baptist Church here in this city. I loved serving there. It was an established place. It was a place of prestige. It was cool. I, I, I loved the people but I sensed God was calling me to leave it and start a new church, a church that would specialize in offering a new beginning for those that wanted to start over. It was an agonizing, scary step of faith. But finally, three of us who were on staff at First Baptist Church said, okay, uh, Mike Jones, Craig Walker, and I, we said, okay, let, let's go, let's do it. We felt like we were joining hands and jumping off a cliff. We had at the most up to eight weeks of salary promise. That's it. And you're on your own. You say, has God been faithful? Oh, yes. Has God ever been faithful? This little church started with a little bit less than 200 people. Today it has over 1,000 people. And God has used us in His grace to start three other self-supporting churches. To start the Vida Spanish-speaking church, which meets, is meeting right now on South Padre Boulevard. The Journey Church, just north of San Antonio, where Pastor Mike and Pastor Danny are serving. And then the Lifeway Church, just north of Dallas. You think, wow, that is amazing. Out of one has become four self-supporting churches. But that's not all. God has taken teams from right here, the end of America, and sent teams to Africa, to South America, to Vietnam, to Romania, to countries all over the planet where there have been preaching points established and the gospel has gone out. One man in South America said this to our, our own people. He said, when you get back home, tell your pastor, thank you for sending you to tell us about Jesus. One of my daughters who went to Africa had a lady come to her and say, thank you. Thank you for coming here to save me. Men and women, this has been the most exciting time of my life. When God calls you to take a scary step of faith, do it. Do it. You'll be so glad. Every man, at least once in his life, needs to risk everything he owns to do what he believes is the call of God. Every woman, at least once in her life, needs to risk everything precious to her to follow what she believes is the call of God. If you will, you will discover the most productive, exciting season of your life. So Abraham took a huge, huge risk. Let me give you a second description of his life. 
Abraham also made some huge, huge failures, some epic fails. How badly did he fail? He lied about his wife. There is a famine, so he leaves the land of Israel and goes south to the land of Egypt. And just before he gets there, he, he says to his wife, Honey, honey, look, I know you are the most beautiful woman in the world, as she probably was. She was drop-dead gorgeous. He said, When we get there, I know everybody's going to notice how beautiful you are, and they're going to want to take you as their wife, and, and they'll kill me. So please, you know, if it's all the same to you, just say you're my sister. Because there was an interesting custom in that day that you could kill a man and have his wife, but you couldn't if this woman was his sister. Instead, you had to buy her to be your wife. So he said, would you mind just telling them you're my sister? So they went to Egypt, and word reaches Pharaoh, who is the, the king of that Egyptian empire, how beautiful she is. And he says, find out who she is. And, oh, she's the brother of, of Abraham. He said, well, pay him, pay him, go get her, pay him. Move, move, move. So they take this huge sum of money by Sarah to be the wife of Pharaoh. The story's not over. God comes to Pharaoh in a dream and says, basically, uh, Pharaoh, you are going to die. I'm going to kill you because that woman you just took, uh, she's married. She's married to Abraham. And I'm sure Abraham said, whoa, 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 hold it, hold it. Uh, let's not be killing anybody yet. Uh, he lied. He said, that's my sister. Yeah, I know. That's why I kept you from having sex with her. So uh, you either give her back or you're dead. The next morning, the Pharaoh, the, the leader of the empire, says to Abraham, you are such a terrible liar. Get out and kicked him out of the country. Can you imagine what it must have been like between Abraham and Sarah as they left? How could you? How could you, Abraham? How could you lie about me and put me in that spot? Did he learn from it? No, he didn't. Matter of fact, he did exactly the same thing the second time. The second time is to the west of Israel, to the coastal empire of the Philistines. The ruler is the name of Abimelech. And once again, he says, now, honey, we're going to go over there. And when we get there, remember, just tell them you're my sister. That's not a complete lie. Actually, Sarah is his half-sister. They had the same father, different mother. So it's not a complete lie. How about it? And she said, oh, okay, all right. And when they get there, word travels fast. This is the most beautiful woman in the whole area. And Abimelech said, go get her. So they go get her. They pay Abraham. This is such a shocker. The Bible records what Abimelech later says to Abraham. Later, because God said to him also, Abimelech, you're dead. Whoa, whoa, what, what, what? He said, that woman you took belongs to Abraham. Well, he told me, I know, I know, I know, but you give that woman back or I'm going to kill you. Very convincing. So this is what happens the next morning. Abraham calls for Abraham. What have you done to us, he demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Isn't it sad when the unbelieving community around us 
has to correct us for our sin? When the unbelievers are saying, how in the world could you do this? It's a sad day. You say, is this the same guy? Yes, it's the same guy. Can we agree today that none of us are all we should be? Could we agree there? I'm not. You're not. We're all a work in progress. None of us have a faith that's fully mature. We're still going to be growing until the day we die. Abraham had the faith to believe that God would care for him when he relocated, but he didn't have enough faith to believe God would protect him when he told the truth about his wife. How sad. I look at every one of my own embarrassing failures, and they have come when I gave in to fear. Instead of walking by faith, I was walking by fear. I want you to watch out for some of the following fears. They're very common. Beware of the fear of ridicule. You know, if I do what God tells me to do, people may laugh at me. And they will. They laughed at Jesus. They'll laugh at you. You have to decide, do I want to be pleasing to God or pleasing to people? Secondly, there's the fear of being embarrassed. The fear of what do people know about my embarrassing past? Friends, all of us have an embarrassing past. I want to give you three great words. Revealing starts healing. When you reveal your past, you are no longer a prisoner of your past. Thirdly, it could be the fear of making amends. When you know you've done wrong and God is speaking to you and you think, well, I don't know how they're going to respond if I go and ask forgiveness. And that's true. You don't know how they're going to respond. Or it could be the fear of failure. It says, you know, I, 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 I just can't do this because I, I may fail. Friends, all of us fail. I fail every single time. You see these phenomenal musicians, they fail every time they play in some way, but they get up and they do it. You may say, you know, I, I, I just couldn't serve here because I, I might fail. Guess what? You will. We all fail. Are you going to let the fear of failure keep you from the most exciting journey of your life? Abraham was far, far from perfect. And God wasn't finished with him yet, which leads us to the third description of his life. God took Abraham through a dark, painful season to remove his embarrassing fear. Abraham is now 110 years old. When he was 100, he had finally a baby boy with his wife, Sarah. From ages 75 to 100, he waited 25 years for a baby boy. And finally, God gives them that promised baby boy. That baby boy has now been crawling and now he's walking on his chubby little legs and, and now he's 10 years old. And God comes to Abraham and says the following words, Abraham, yes, Lord, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. There are six phrases 
He must have gone over and over them that night. Abraham, it was the voice of his friend. He has now been walking with the Lord for 35 years. He knows that voice. He immediately listens, Abraham, take now your son. God had promised him a son, a son through Sarah. She will bear you a son. Call him Isaac. He waited 25 long years. Take now your son. He had to pinch himself to believe he really has a son. Take your only son. Why would God remind him of their barrenness, of their inability to conceive a child? Surely God knew they had only one son. Take your only son, whom you love. Abraham thought he could never love any, anything or anyone as much as Sarah until he held that, that little bundle of joy. His tears ran down his wrinkled cheeks. My son, his heart seemed to burst with love. Take the son you love, even Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. God said, call his name laughter, Isaac. And they were so happy. They finally had a baby boy. Laughter ran throughout the camp. A hundred-year-old man, a 90-year-old woman having a baby. Laughter and offer him as a burnt offering. What? 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 All night long, Abraham did not sleep. Before dawn, he awakened and went to the sleeping form of his little 10-year-old boy, and he gently shook him, Isaac, Isaac. And Isaac turned over and squinted his, his eyes and said, Yes, Daddy. Daddy, what? He said, Isaac, get up. Daddy, what? Get up. Why, Daddy? Where are we going? We are going to worship. Okay, Daddy. Okay. He jumped up as a 10-year-old boy would do and went outside the tent and saw the two servants and there was some wood and a knife and the fire. He said, come on, son. We're going to go worship. Okay, Daddy. Okay. Let's go. They walked for two days with little conversation. By the third day, they reached the, the ascent, the base of the mountain. And Abraham turned to his two servants and said, Stay here. You wait here. The boy and I will go to worship, and we will come back. They walked up the mountain in silence. They got, they got to the top of the mountain, and Abraham began to arrange the stones for an altar, and he, he took the wood there, and, and Isaac's looking around and said, Daddy, Daddy, uh, here's, here's the wood and the altar. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, The Lord himself will provide the sacrifice. He said, Turn around, son. He turned around, and he tied his boy's hands, and then he tied his feet, and Abraham is still a strong man. He, he picked up Isaac and placed him on the wood. And tears are blinding him. And he took the knife and he raised it up. And in that moment, God says, stop, stop. Abraham, stop. Don't touch, don't touch that boy. 
I know now that your heart toward me is perfect. You have not withheld even your own beloved son. And because you have not withheld your son, I will multiply your descendants. I will make them as many as the stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore. Abraham, I will bless you because of what you have done. Abraham had to learn in that dark, dark, painful season that God would care for him, that God would keep his word, that he could trust him with the most precious, loved portion of his life. After putting Isaac on the altar, Abraham never again lied about his wife. His faith had been strengthened. His faith had been purified. His faith had been cleansed. He was a better man because of it. For those of us who are still stumbling as we walk this journey of faith, how do we grow? We grow like this. Abraham listened to me and he obeyed all my instructions. You and I are never going to get so old that God stops calling us to a life of faith. Trust me. Trust me. It isn't to take something from us. It's to give something to us. It isn't to hurt us. It's to help us. Let me ask you again. Is Perhaps God is calling you to take the scary step of faith of making amends. And you are afraid. You don't know how that person's going to respond. Do it. Trust God with the outcome. Perhaps God is calling you to forgive someone who has offended you. You've been holding on to it, nursing it. Let it go. Today is the day to receive in the gift God will give you of forgiveness for others. Perhaps God is calling you to serve him at BCF and you've been frightened. Do it. Many of you are Spanish-speaking. You are fluent in both languages. You could help us in Spanish translation. Perhaps you are gifted musicians. You could serve here. You could work with children, or you could work with students, or you could work with adults. God is calling you to serve. You will never grow until you serve. It's a scary step, of course. People ask me, do you, do you still get nervous? I said, of course I do. That's, all of us do. Are you going to do what God calls you to do? Perhaps God is calling you to return the tithe and trust him. Maybe you're saying, well, I just don't know if I could survive. Yes, you will do better, not worse. Okay, Lord, I know this first 10% belongs to you. I'm, I'm going to take this step of faith. As I prepared this message this week, I sensed some of you are at a crossroad. You have come to a dark, painful season of your life when you do not feel the presence of God. We are always promised the presence of God, but we are not always promised the feeling of the presence of God. Some of you are in a time so dark that you are blinded by your own tears. And you wonder, where is God in all of this? I know how you feel. 
I've been in those seasons where you cannot see what God is doing and what you can see you hate. It's a painful season, much like offering Isaac on an altar. I've come today to ask you to make a simple little prayer. It's a prayer that I'm going to make, and, and I invite you to pray it with me. The prayer will be on the screen. It just very simply says, God, if you will clearly tell me what to do, I will do it. Father, if you will just make it so clear that I can't miss it, I will do it. That's the prayer I'm going to invite you to make with me. Would you make it with me? If you're willing to make that prayer, I want you to stand up right now. I'm standing. I want you to stand with me. I'm making that prayer. I invite you. Are you willing to say, Father, if you will make it clear, I'll do it. This will be the most exciting season of your life. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've stood today in faith. There are times when faith is not knowing. And I sense for some there is a terribly dark, incredibly painful season. They just don't know. God, what are you doing? And Father, as your children, we can come today in faith saying, make it clear, Lord. Make it clear to me. If you'll make it undeniably clear, I'll do it. By faith, we're saying it today. If you'll make it clear, so clear I can't miss it, I'll do it. Father, hear my prayer. Hear our prayers. I pray it in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. Be seated.